This is Captain Bruce R. Sheffer. This is First Officer John H. Ryer. This is Lieutenant Commander Robert Trav Pulaski. This is Admiral Richard L. Tohoka. This is Cadet Josie Pixie Mulcahy. Welcome to the continuing voyages of the Tri-Tac podcast. To go boldly into somebody else's intellectual property. To seek out <laughs> pretty much anything that isn't nailed down. And to make it our own. Yep. To go where so many have gone before because we really want to use your stuff. Never mind about me. Protect my ship. <laughs> exactly. Shall I beam down on our party? Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. This week, we are continuing our series on playing Fringeworthy and other people's campaigns or other people's intellectual property. And in this case, we are doing Star Trek. Fringeworthy, a unique trait shared by so few, a gift or a curse to those that can transit a portal accessing the extra-dimensional network, a pathway to a million million portals to a million million other worlds, worlds filled with terrible wonder or shocking beauty, populated by denizens other than human and motivated by their own values, a creation of a race so advanced the physical laws of the universe became not barriers to their own creative drives. Will you shoulder this burden and step onto the paths for your world? Adventure in the million, million worlds of Fringeworthy. Fringeworthy is a role-playing game by TriTech Games. Available at TriTechGames.com. Come explore the worlds of TriTech Games. Explore the worlds of Fringeworthy. Let's see, a character I would not want to be around at all. Oh, gosh. I, uh, let's see, out of all the series? I mean, you can, you're allowed more than one choice if you're having trouble. Well, I don't have a problem with the original crew. For DS9, I'd probably have to say Quark. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be like, the, like the, the bridge crew. It can be any character. Right. I would probably have to say either Quark, uh, Tuvok from uh, Voyager. If somehow I got on there, this is a man who stated, and remember, Vulcans don't lie. This yes, man they, yes, stated, they do. They he just could, say they he don't lie. Kill somebody in forty-nine ways with his finger. That's not someone I want to be around. I don't care how well trained I am. <laughs> and Quark, he's just too shady. I know guys like that, Trav. They're not. They're not even Vulcan. <laughs> If you would go that route, I would almost say Tom Paris is also maybe, you know, he's had his, uh, he definitely is on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, Crooked as a barrel full of snakes. Yeah, I, Paris, I just was, yeah. I definitely wouldn't want to be on any adventure that involved the, uh, not Odo, but the, the rest of the shape changers, the, the shape shifters. I really oh, the found them to be just, you know, morally reprehensible and just, you know, they were just horrible, horrible creatures. Oh, in that case, and the Cardassians, I wouldn't want to deal with them either. Especially a, cer a certain Taylor. No, he's yeah. okay. Oh. He's okay. He's okay. Well, with nothing else, he's learned how to hide it well, okay? He was at least interesting. But the other guy, Dolcott, 
That guy was, Gold, a, to, was a total oh, no. tool. Oh, no. Yeah, dual cut. Yeah, forget dual cut. Yeah, yes. He was a total tool all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying. I, I, unfortunately, I'm thinking of, of I can't remember his name because he actually has a name. He was one of the barflies at, at Quark's Bar. Morg, I think his name was. Yeah, Morg. Yeah, he turns out. Morg turned out to you be. You don't like uh, Morg? No, I like him. Uh, unfortunately, I was just thinking people, you know. No, Morg's a good guy. I think actually Morg would be one of the peop- people I probably would hang out with. <laughs> well, he's totally based upon the character from Cheers, of course. Yeah. Morg! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he's, he's based on that. They, they fully admitted it. Uh, yeah. They had a bar and they had some guy sitting down on the end who was big and fat, you know, just. Oh, it's, is it Morg or Morn? No, it's, I think it's Morn. Morn. I mean, uh, and, and the early Klingons were so, um, I don't know, they, they, were, they were just so, they were so superior and straight-laced and, and, and honor-bound, even though they were always breaking things, doing things dishonorably. You know, they were, they were really despicable. I'm trying to remember which it was. It Kodos? Yeah, Kodos, who was also the actor who played um, Trelane. Uh, yeah, uh, and Bill Campbell, yeah. senior. Yeah, yep. and, and he was actually there. They were there was talk of uh, Kolos, not Kodos, Kolos. Nope, no, 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 wrong person. But anyway, he was he was actually they were they were thinking about making him a recurring character. Uh, then it kind of fell through because he unfortunately the actor had other things he do. He couldn't really they couldn't mesh. So there's you know there's a there's a what if for you what if you know Kodos was a recurring character the series would be very different. Yeah, he was he was a yeah, and, and I mean I I remember some of you know some of the, these characters were good but most of the time you know they were like um, well like the Romulans they were just a bunch of just humorless you know little you know I don't know they they were they were very they were very. Uh, very not you have the non-emotion ability of the Vulcans, okay, and then they have the 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 the, the, the kind of like I'm, I've always got constipation aspect, of <laughs> you know, and then of course they're sneaky and underhanded because of all that stealth technology they got going. So yeah, I mean they they would have to be the enemy I was after. I would I, I really don't see myself actually adventuring with them and having a good time. Uh, so yeah, the the Romulans pretty much, you know, would would work for me. Actually, two people that came to mind, one more than the other. The least the least person I probably would hang out with be uh, Cyrano Jones. He's I yeah I mean he'd he'd be he'd make Fr- Frankie's crawl. <laughs> I'm trying to remember who that was. Okay, because I uh, triple triples. It would, okay, yeah, but he basically was the same character as Harry Mudd. Oh uh, no, Harry Mudd is worse of the two, I think, because we get to see we get to see more of them. We get to see more of his character, and Harry Mudd was in it for Harry Mudd, right? But that, and that, I would like going with him because you know he was very upfront about it, and he was sneaky, and and you know he, he kept the plot moving, and he wouldn't he wouldn't think twice of leaving abandoning you someplace while he went off to something else. That's true, but you know, at least you knew what you were in for with with him. You know, it's uh, yeah. he, he was kind of obviously, you know, uh, uh, not 
it was he was like unfocused malicious you know it just it was just kind of like you hang around me long enough you know you're going to end up with fleas kind of a guy you know? <laughs> you're going to be the guy going to Hooskow while he uses the distraction to get up jump a ship and get off planet granted oh, okay God. yeah yeah but at the same time as if he was least fun he was did interesting things kind of kept his promises for me it would be Khan. Well, I don't want to be on the ship. I'd steal a shuttle to get away. Yeah, what, what, a, what a total. Either, either Khan, really. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Both of them were jerks. I mean, you know, yeah. Let's go ahead and kill all these people just, just so you can get. I mean, I, that that was floor me the whole you know I uh, my my daughter's dying so I'll kill all these people just so my daughter can live I'm like where's the ethics of Star Trek here you know, JJ actually that does bring up a good point when you say that because I just realized something we imagine we we went back we said we need some you know we need to deal with say a major Miller infestation on the world but there's no way we deal with it. that's just a thought crossed to me. One, if we happen to know about the train, the French train, and how to call it, and if we can get the right people, you know, let's say, tell what well, we need. We have this problem. What we need from you because we, we it only will work for eighteen hours. We need a Genesis device. Ho ho ho! It would fix the problem. That would be that Genesis device. That would be common law wealth level tech right there. That's the type of stuff that they would have made to make a planet uninhabitable. The part of the reason why 270 million worlds were, you know, forever altered or destroyed by by that war. Stuff Genesis device would be that type of thing. And the thing is, that I think the reason why the plant was unstable because they had to basically make it from all the gas, so they had to use proto matter. But I wonder if you got if you got a world all ready to go. It may be stable after it's done. Well, I, I got the feeling it wasn't deployed properly, which is why the whole plant was unstable and finally ended up destroying itself. Yeah, basically restarting, yeah, doing a restart and reforming back in, you know, it's still a world, yeah, but it's restarted. But but yeah, no, I, that would be a that would be the kind of weapon you'd want to use on a a doomed Meller infested plan is like okay everyone there is going to die anyways just take you know let's resurface the plan at least we have a nice park like place for people to move to afterwards. Well, no, you say that. Now I'm thinking about that though. Um, I wonder if it's possible to program and say, okay, here's what Mellers are. These are people. Uh, can you during the process of rebuilding this plan? Can you like you know bring them back? Because it happened, it happened, it happened with Spock, though. That's the- I know, I know, but he was the only one, you know. Uh, you know, again, plot, plot. It's it's a story verse here, okay? You know, uh, I, I think I, it's it's far more effective as a destructive device than as a you know than as something that would actually be useful for a spe- a very specific end like that. I mean, they're designed to reform the entire planet into. You know, uh, uh, I guess an M-class planet. I think that was the idea: was they could take them and turn these plans that weren't actually proper into a proper planet. You know, for M-type colonization. And of the Klingons, 
Yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, uh, Co- uh, Commander Kodos, or Kodo, I think he's got his name right. But, you know, one way to run from is Krooge. That guy was crazy. Krug? Oh, Christopher Lloyd's character, yes. Yeah, but his first officer, Maltz. Uh, yeah, oh, Dr. Roquette, yeah. He, I'd hang with him. What was that, that ship? The ship that uh, Riker was on, you know... Those oh, guys, yeah. those guys yeah, were pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, those guys were were pretty okay. You know, and I'm trying to think of and the and the uh, and the Klingon commander who walked around with his bare midriff and uh, and shot the Voyager probe. What was his name? I can't remember his name now. Yeah, not no. That was in that was in uh, we, Search for Spock. Was the movie was in. Well, I don't know. I think that the the two uh, chancellors, uh, Galron and Martok. Now, I, I I met the actor who played Martok, J.G. Hertzler. Decent enough guy. So yeah, I, it's like, and he stood right next to me with um, fan made Klingon makeup. There was a local quote unquote Klingon ship at a con, and he's like three feet from me. And then I find out two days later. You do realize that was Hertzler. I'm like, son of a... But I think, like, some Klingons I would like to hang out with just to see, you know... It's like, you you can tell, yeah, despite how they are, they know how to party. <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like going to a Barfleet party, turn to 11. Yeah. Well, the, the longer they, they, they were in the series, the more, you know, um, congenial or, or at least, you know, approachable... They became, you know, they weren't just cookie cutter uh, Roman centurions anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you can imagine a uh, Klingon greengrocer, you know, you know, because. <laughs> oh no! In the I, I have the Klingon D twenty book, and they talk about Klingon culture, and there's this one, and it, for lack of a better term, it's a cartoon, and it's pretty much. Today we will grill this meat in the Pantax style with the proper spices and herbs for optimal flavor. Yeah. And just so oh, and let us not forget their culture. On, uh, all... on next next gem the Klingon tea ceremony. Erna, what was the Klingon mating ritual? The woman screams and throws dishes. The man learns to duck a lot <laughs> <laughs> and read poetry. Doesn't that happen often anyway? Well, yeah, but especially when they're mating. Yeah, yeah. The Klingons basically they they decide okay if they're going we're going to make them samurai, which is what they were turning them into samurai. Yeah, they they, uh-huh. they, 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 they some realize oh for every samurai there are about a hundred villagers and people ma- you know maintaining him, so there had to oh, be. I just I just had a wonderful battle to be. I would love to see that. I mean, yeah, it, it'd be something neat to role play. A Klingon against a Tazeel. Hmm. Yeah. They would stand there and bump chests all day long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we would be basically be having, and I will try to put this in the PG medical version, a phallus size contest. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I was at a summer camp and they had this whole thing there where you'd get like, you know, they get each other's faces and they would push up against each other, you know, with their chests. And supposedly yeah. the, the guy, 
what sooner or later one was supposed to push the other one back and then they were supposed to go at it okay and <laughs> i could just see these guys just standing there doing that to each other all day long but Be- no i they- would also see if they were when they get down to it yeah you know how the Tazeel are with Blade and Bow. They, oh. I think it would be a pretty even battle. It's That's just, my point. That's why they'd be doing it all day. Yeah, but... They were, they, it would take them I that long to size played. each other up. You know? Yeah. But I think we have seen this already. I, when I'm Kirk and the Gorn. Happen, like, yeah. yeah. If I'm seeing this about to happen, and I actually know what's about to happen after they get to the pushing up against each other thing, like getting in each other's faces. I'm like, ah, bye. I forgot to leave something on back on the other I side of the pool. To I gotta go. Yeah. yeah. Bye bye. Yeah. Yeah. Warrior, the various warrior races. Of course, I can also see, you know, cause you know, we do have access to other universes. So I'm bringing along Samurai Jack, but you know, <sighs> still would be an even match. Oh, um, let, I, I, just yeah, with the with the Star Trek universe, you're right. That's the thing, and it'd be nice to visit. But the whole thing is, I mean, the main thing of Fringeworthy, one of the main missions is we are trying to find tech to help a faltering Earth because the population is starting to get out of control, resources are starting to dwindle. Ecologically, it's a little worse off on Earth Prime than it is here on Earth. Sadly, yeah, with a lot of the technobabble technology that Star Trek has, it would it would fall under the weird science ages. Yeah, no, it but does get the benefit of the of the eighteen hour period where it'll still operate, or however long the period is. Oh yeah, the playtex effects, they call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you have access to the fringe train. You go and say, what's your biggest replicator? And we need a power supply for it. And you take it to Earth Prime and you set it up and you, you know, zoom to where you need to go to, you fire it up and it runs as long as it can producing food. Or producing wherever you need. Yeah. You know, and then when it stops, you pick it up, take it back, let it recharge and bring it back and do it again. Well, that is an idea. Because I was going to say here is that, you know, considering the fact that Star Trek Pretty much any place along the timeline you want to go is so advanced technologically, you know, I mean, it would either just totally solve all of our problems back on Earth Prime that are technological in base, or it wouldn't be helpful at all, except for like, as you said, these kinds of things where you're essentially bringing the magic device over to do something, and then it runs out, and you got to take it back and replace it with another one, and you just got to keep the pipeline of, of devices going, you know, so you can keep doing whatever, you know, take it through the Easter Island portal and just, you know, fill the whole island full of coconuts or, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, spam or whatever you want to, you know, something, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, like uh, soil and green. I mean, <laughs> just whatever, you know, and then, and then do they just ship it out on cargo containers, you know, throughout the world. Oh, no, you bring along transport, bring along a transporter. Uh, transport system as well. I mean, they should. No, they don't have that big of transporters. They have cargo transporters, but they don't. They're not big enough to do what you want, John. A transporter wouldn't help. The replicators would be a good idea because you could bring them through and just let them dump 
you know, as much as possible out onto a surface and then you just shovel that somewhere else and send it off, you know. The reason why you want a cargo tra- – if, if the replicator is big enough and the, or the, the cargo transport is big enough, you bring that to transport the cargo trans- the cargo replicator to where it needs to be at that point. And then you have to ship it back on a ship because you, everything doesn't work no more, uh, you know. Well, it still has to fit through a 25-foot wide portal. Yeah, it's got to fit to a 25 foot portal. And if it does, and in the, in the uh, power supply, which probably does, because they have colonies and you look at the uh, things and they have replicators that fit in, a, in the size of a um, microwave oven. So the power supplies, which, okay, okay, this is where it definitely is story verse because to, to make one gram of matter, okay, I don't care. I don't care if they take matter and turn it into energy and back to matter again. One gram of matter. Is about the energy equivalent of twenty-one kilotons. Those, I mean, just I, yeah, I'm just happy to think that they they just stop working and they don't detonate and fl- and, and flatten wherever they are. At that point, it is stop working. Uh, hopefully, not running through any, on any matter because this any matter is a real thing and it still would be there and that would be bad. But they can't run it any matter because they can't run it through the portal. The portal goes, nope, sorry, matter. <laughs> fixes it for you so you can't bring any matter i don't think they in any of the series i don't think they ever actually used a replicator to create any matter they always had to extract it out of the warp core yeah yeah and i'm saying if the power supply is run, runs off any matter it's not going to work because it'll be you know be, be completely drained when it goes to the portal well yeah 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 no i'm assuming that would they would you know it's like like everything else it runs off of it, it runs off of dilithium crystals you know I always thought you know antimatter was a uh, a byproduct of the the warp process, and you know they 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 they, they might have used any they used the antimatter was you know they used the word antimatter because they don't have another word for exotic matter, which is what any of these kinds of things really would require. So yeah, okay. So anyways, um, so I don't you know, but that kind of technology really, I mean, even if you did that. I don't see it making that much difference to Earth because, you know, and that's one reason why I always had a thing against the idea that was in the D20 book of them using the portal system as some kind of a, you know, let's feed the world because, okay, granted, you could bring it through and you could use it to, to go to like hot points where things are really bad. They need a certain amount of food, but they couldn't support an entire, an entire planet through a 25 foot wide portal. I don't care how hard they try. Yeah, I mean, but the only thing you could probably do is uh, the thing is they would also they would also when we say they don't do much gene, gene, genetic modification, they do the they do it on their plants like quadratricale to bring up something from a show, uh, which is a high yield per, a perennial grain. So yeah, I can see them shipping us boatloads of that stuff, and you know, actually, you only need one boatload. Because then you just reuse the seeds again, over and over again. Well, you need a lot of boatloads because there's a lot of places on the world you'd want to plant it. Yeah, that's true. But there'd be other plants too. I mean, I imagine they have all sorts of genetically modified plants that grow. They would grow in Antarctica, just fine, you know, because it is Star Trek, and I and and it's genetically modified. So the question is, it's it, it, as long as there's no trick heck in the genetic modifications other than making the plant much more hardy, it may actually work and keep on going and keep on growing. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's an island on Earth 
you know, assuming this to happen, where they would have a whole lot of plants that b- would blow out a lot of dust on the people that tried to smell them, and everyone would work hard and be happy and have lots of sex. You know, I mean, I'm sure there'd be at least one island like that, and the people would be volunteering. I want to go to the island. You know, and oh, and we're gonna build, we're gonna build a Godzilla head over here and sacrifice to it every so often. Yeah, whatever. But I'm just saying is that you know. I mean, you know, Spock really, you know, kind of missed missed the boat on that one. It's like, just like Kirk said, you know, would it, would it really hurt us to gather a few laurel leaves for a while? <laughs> I mean, poor Spock. He's the one woman he's ever been in love with, you know, and and uh, and, and they, they solved the problem before he ever, you know, gets to, you know, gets to go through his non-pawn far. Yeah, I'm just trying to think um... – whether his uh, T'Pring was his wife or his betrothed—that was actually unclear because they said both in the, in the episode. I'm sure it was an arranged marriage. There, I mean, it, just like the Japanese culture, you're really considered to be married to that person. Also, in the Indian culture, it's just the, but the the final ceremonies of recognition haven't been done. But essentially, it was an arranged marriage, and you know, he had every re- he had every reason to divorce her. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it it shows you know that Vulcans are uh, do have regular emotions because yeah, she was cheating on him, <laughs> but she was doing it very logically. Yeah, yeah, she was cheating on him. There's no logic involved in that. She wanted to get in what's his name's pants. <laughs> well, you remember, remember the the, the, the Amic time is only the Vulcans are not limited once every seven years. It's just the Amic times where it just builds up and you have to do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that's good enough for that. Yeah. So we are doing this sort of thing. You know, uh, let's say we are adventuring in the Star Trek universe and such. Okay. All right. So how much red shirt interaction are we going to run into? I mean, you know, is it like a fata? Is it like one out of you know, at least one or two out of every care, uh, of every party going to die because they go into the Star Trek universe because they're they're essentially somebody's got to be the red shirt. That yeah, or, or NPCs around them start red shirting. You know, it depends on whether or not they're the focus of the story or not. I guess you know, or will they be Tasha Yard and uh, sacrificed? Yeah, I mean, I'm saying it's not like you got plot. You don't always have plot immunity, and and fringeworthy characters, since they're coming in from the outside, I get a very strong impression in all these story verses that we're talking about people that are, in many ways, trying to usurp the roles of the main characters, and that really puts them in the red shirt territory. Yep. Oh yeah. What do the rest of you guys think about this? I don't know about the red shirt thing. Uh, yeah, that'd be an NPC thing. I mean, if, if that'd be an NPC thing, really. And this is another reason why you'd actually want to keep interactions with the main characters to a minimum, so that you don't have this sort of conflict where you're trying to see what's going to happen. Not die. <laughs> you're trying not to not die. die. Because you're with not, like the iconic characters, and they have to live, so somebody has to die because this is a story, and it's going to be boring if we don't kill somebody. No, you're ta- no, no, Bruce. You were talking about oh yeah, it's like what thing would you see that would make you just want to go back to the portal? 
they have you, okay, fine, you're part of our crew. Well, since you guys are all like explorers with guns, you're going to be security. Put on these red shirts. Take me back to the portal now. But no, I'm leaving. I'm just saying, if I saw the entire bridge crew there, that would tell me right off the bat that I was a red shirt. Or at least at the most, I was just, I was a guest star. Yeah. And guest stars don't have don't have any guarantee of surviving to the end of the episode. They have no plot immunity. No. Oh, no. There's one. The one red shirt who is now the dos equi most interesting man in the world. He survived the entire, I think his name is Jonathan Goldman. Yeah. He survived the entire episode. Yes, they, 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 I remember that. That was on Facebook. See, that's how bad he is. Yeah. And don't forget, you know, Ahura, Scotty, both were red shirts. <laughs> I like that meme. It's like, I'm a Scott. So they were security. They did wear red. Yeah. Or gold if you go next gen. Yeah. They swapped the color scheme in next gen. Yeah. Well, they also wore gold. I mean, Kirk wore gold at least one time. It was just that was a command color, and because they were the bridge crew, I could see them wearing gold occasionally. But yeah, because Scotty was in engineering and and Ohura was in was in communication, both tech roles, then they would wear the red. You know, I, I just think they didn't want to come up with another uniform color and explain and explain it. You know, for all the the, the security people, so. Basically, everybody who was in command was running around in red shirts most of the time, I figured, except for the ones that were wearing those overalls. Or you had the blue for medical and sciences. Right, right. Medical and life sciences were blue, right. And occasionally Kirk would wear green. Yeah, like I said, this is weird. He 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 wore weird stuff. Yeah. Then again, he's a captain, and 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 the captain and a captain of a ship it's equivalent to a colonel. In any any other military branch, so you get in that area where, you know, the uniform is what I decide it is. I mean, generals and admirals, their uniforms are what they decide they are. Because who's going to tell me tell them different? <laughs> and the only thing interesting about the French really would be the Blanchard boots. <laughs> the Blanchard boots. Those giant boots that all the French really seem to wear. They're they're mug they're Uggs they're Uggs you know the guys deal from Uggs. <laughs> yeah, that that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I also I was thinking when we were talking about this I and I I don't know if it's, it's time to bring it up but I was also thinking because there are two other fringe worthy properties out there at least one official fringe worthy property, Weird Zone, and of course Hardware Hinterland. I can see a weird zone zero plot showing up someplace. Oh my, you know, you know, oh my, uh, what deity you wish to invoke? They, they just came in and took out half of the. There's a bunch of cadets doing a Kobayashi Maru, and now there's a house sitting in the middle of the of the of the academy. <laughs> yeah, because I've, I've I've read that, and what I've read about that is those can pop up anywhere. So yeah, yeah it. It just taking out part of the academy could happen. Yeah, and 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 being dealt with. In fact, you know, they would definitely. Then yeah, you can throw us in jail. We're not going to be. We're. I just end up throwing off, throwing up off the edge of the zero plot when we leave. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. You throw me in jail. I'm I'm leaving anyway. 
maybe up to up to what five days I think it is the longest you can stay <laughs> five day up in five days I'm gone just don't yeah you know, just don't kill me before then that would be you know lots of trouble there and that but that would definitely be a one off because I don't though if you really might be cruel you take them through all the various eras if you want to be cruel to them but uh, yeah. Uh, there's that. And then I'm thinking of Hardware Hinterland. I mean, considering they're all different alternate worlds. I, I don't get that. I don't get that at all, John, but go ahead. Magic cost? That's definitely an alternate alternate world where magic works. Yeah, but I'm just saying is that I don't see where one of the, the, the environs would be like Star Trek. Why not? Uh... Why? Yeah, you have environs that look like other places. Why would this? Why would this other one? Why would it, Why would it not be able to look like something that came off of Star Trek Earth? Yeah, remember one of the environs. Pretty much, it's like we take this time. We take this 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 slice of time and space. Copy it and dump it here on this. 200-mile, perfectly square island. You Bloom. said each of them is like from a, pla- a place in time in Earth's history. Yeah. This is just another part of it. Yeah. Another. All right, all right, all right. I stand corrected. Yeah, and the thing with that one is, it, you know, I can see it working two ways. One, it would be, first it would be there completely uninhabited. And everything is in pristine condition until someone finds it. Oh, that would be... Oh, that's a game changer there. Oh. Sitting there, all of a sudden, walk around in hardwired hinterlands with phases and dry quarters. Well, oh. they, well, they probably wouldn't work off the island because of that whole weird physics thing you were talking about. Mm. But magic costs magic works off the island, though. Does it? Does it, Richard? Does it? Nobody's ever asked that before. Ah. Yes. Oh, so it does. Oh. It's probably the same as the Star Trek. Once the stuff is charged, or you're recharging it from a power source, which Spock was able to do, then uh, it would work. It really becomes important which era of Star Trek it's from. If it's from the original series then 10,000 kilometers is a very important number because that's the range of transporters. And because you don't need a receiver at the other end, if Anson's kingdom is in range, someone's uh, store of crystals would just vanish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was so sucked. Nobody in hardware Hintland has ever said that the the, the crystal, the lightning crystal, but why would they care? They've got, they've got, you know, they've got anti gravity and all that stuff. What do they care about things like lightning crystals? Because it's Star Trek technology, and this is very important. Because you, if you stay true to the genre, it's some of the most unreliable stuff out there. It starts breaking down at the drop of a hat. So as long as it's pristine, it'll work fine for the first month or so. Then the transporter stops working. And you don't know why, because it is literally magic tech. And you have no idea how this sucker works, but it stopped working. So now we go find our transporter. Hopefully it's in our transporter we can use. Yeah, but they can always but they can always be fixed. Can they? I mean you'd have to you'd have to learn the technology then. You'd have to learn 
several. Okay, I take that back. You're right. Because if someone's from the future, it wouldn't be that hard for them to figure it out. If it's someone from the past, it'd be next to impossible. Oh, yeah. It's, it's way too many levels of tech bullet between them. Yeah. So it depends on who's who's found it. If it's a bunch of guys from the 1920s, it they're going to use it until it breaks. And, yeah, you know, the shuttlecraft everywhere until they break. And then, yeah, then they abandon them in place and find themselves an airplane or something. Right. You know, so, yeah, so the transporters will work up until they until they break. And then they or, and then they go find another transport station in the city and use that until they break them all. Right. But Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But to be a lot of stuff, I mean, because the maintenance, the maintain ants will just simply abandon them because these guys will just sit there and just use them until they, till they, you know, till the cows come home. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. For a while. For a while. So, yeah, if it's empty, if the place is empty with no people on it, then, yeah, they might very well try to grab crystals from Anson's kingdom and, and so forth. Sure, sure. If, but if they do have people on them, then it's a whole different story because now you've got people who can maintain the tech. That's true, yeah, because the world's the, the places do tend to attract people who kind of come from that era. So yeah, if, it, if it's uh, even if it's enterprise era, it still be uh, you know, the, the transporters there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to put a person through them. Yeah, they were definitely hanky. Yeah, yeah, but definitely could yank steal stuff, and you know I don't care if the gold melts. Into a pile, into an amorphous pile. It's gold. It's still gold, you know. And I can just scoop it off the floor and use it and take and re and re and resmelt it if I need to. Uh, yeah. So there'd be a lot of thieving in this case. So yeah, because remember, a lot of these people have scavenger mindsets in Hardware and Hinterland, and the transfer would be the ultimate scavenger. Well, yeah, it makes perfect sense that you'd have a scavenger mindset in Hardware Hinterland because. Yes, that's what you do. Most of the thing people are running around looking for tech that they that they can bring back and, and use until, as you say, it breaks. And Trek tech is notorious for breaking down. I I, I, I tried doing a search to see if I can find someone kept track of how many times the transporters broke. I think it'd be a, it'd be a, such a percentage that I wouldn't. I agree with Bones. I would not trust myself to a transporter. Well, in, def in defense of the Enterprise, they were going out into the weirdest possible places, you know, where all kinds of strange energy fields were and things like that. So, yeah, I can see, you know, where there would be. And, of course, it's a story verse. So, the, you know, you have to breaking down the transporter is a guaranteed way to keep the, the players, the characters in the story. That's a good point, Richard. Yeah. So do the do the universal settings work a function on on each environment? That is, since we're saying Star Trek is a story verse where the plot and the narrative takes precedence over anything else, would that environment be just like that? Hmm. I would think no. You would think so. It wouldn't actually have the default universal setting on it then. Probably not. Yeah, no, I was just re actually referring to the actual Star Trek universe. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, if it did, if it was, if it did apply, then it actually make your life much more harder because you show up. Oh, look, people, we're gonna have a story. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I think Hardwire Hinterland would be a very bad place if if they had any kind of a story verse kind of thing going on there. Yeah, just 
I mean, there's enough things to kill you in that in that place. You don't need the yeah, reality itself being arrayed against you. Yeah, but but those are two things. You know, those two two you know two other settings that's possible. Uh, I say use the the the, the, the weird zone. What I would say, have fun with. Hardware hit to land, yeah, because it would be a game changer. They found it, you know, if it was there. All right. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, let's go on to our final thing, which is what kind of adventures would you like to go on in the Star Trek universe? I would say probably exploration just to check out, you know, these totally new types of worlds and races and cultures and everything. So you want to continue to do first contact? Yeah. Yeah, maybe a humanitarian because it'd go hand in hand. I mean, you have, oh, here's something. Oh, here would be a good role-playing experience. The Federation, they got their prime directive. They do not interfere in cultures that do not have warp drive capability. You are not even to let them know that other cultures on other planets exist. Meanwhile, you have Unita. What prime directive? Yeah, what's that? And, yeah. That would be. You got some stuff we need? Hey, let's, let's tell you about our home world. Wonderful for a role play concept. You have this. They're all, no, we can't tell them about this. And then there's this United team that already knows about the other, about other worlds, other places. They already know there's other cultures out there. Well, the thing is, just it would be good role playing because you'd have, you have that conflict. The, this, the, what's the term? Juxtaposition, I think they call it. Yeah, where you have you that have, just juxtaposition. That. What I said, yeah. What you said. You have that between them. They're like, no, we can't tell them. It's like, why not? What are you? What are you so worried about? What you want? Don't you want them to be? You're a federation. Don't you want all of them to be all at the same level? And the starship captain's like. No, we don't want to interfere with their culture. What you people do that? <laughs> There's the airlock. Get off my ship. You know? Yeah, I mean <laughs> that that's true. They would probably, if you were adventuring with Starfleet, they would probably say, "Look, okay, you cannot tell people about you know the fringe past. You cannot, you know, we 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 are, you know, we're we're, we're going to do undercover and we're going to be keep it very much on the QT, unless of course it's a starfaring culture, in which case I guess you could go wild and crazy and talk about it." But, um, I mean, especially if it's back on Earth Prime, uh, I mean, on Earth, because then they can protect it and, you know, control it. So if it's out somewhere else, you know, on like some planetoid or asteroid or something like that, then you jolly well maybe not want to tell everybody about it because they may not, they may take it over and not let you go home. Yeah, I think, I think the big thing is, is it, on a, is it an alt or is it a prime? If it's an alt, yeah, they can they can guard the one portal. If it's a prime, then you have the entire node to worry about at that point, and and, um, and you may not, you know, you you may have a team that said, I, you know, I I don't want to see what's in the prime yet. Let's go see what's up. Uh, let's see what's go, what's up there on the uh, on the star platforms. I'm just curious, and you go to star, and you end up at Alpha Centauri. and the colony there, or uh, with the people there, and and you realize this is Star Trek. Oh my God! It's a Star Trek, and then you get the one guy who wants to get, hop in his hop in his motorcycle and race back to the prime to see where the portals are <laughs> uh, on that place. Um, 
you know, uh, well, actually, I think it depends on what, what era you are. If it's like the, if it's, uh, if it's in the early years, yeah, you're going to have at least one Trekkie, uh, on the team. You know, at least, at least has passing knowledge of Star Trek. 20 years on Star Trek, that was this thing back 20 years ago. Maybe, I don't know. That was that show my dad and grandpa watched, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you're not you're not gonna get the uh, you may not actually have a yeah as a GM I'd say okay for you to be a trekker you have to be very so you guys be special it's gotta be something this is a quirk you gotta buy and say savage world or or something you have to justify being a trekkie you know you just you know you just can't say I'm a trekkie are you sure it's not a disadvantage could be a disadvantage too I mean it's sort of like someone saying I'm a fan of the Bowery Boys I used to be myself but. And Josie is just totally not, it's not, I'm looking her eyes, it ain't even registered. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I she's so young. <laughs> I barely remember them on like Saturday, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, the yeah. movie. Well, I mean, movie. come on, it was, they were filmed in like the, in the 40s. Yeah. See. What was some... filmed in the 40s? The Bowery Boys. Um, yep. <laughs> 30s and 40s. I just finished watching a run of Mon Pa Kettle, The Egg and I, and then uh, like three of the eight movies. And then it was what? There was Spook Busters. Wonderful stuff. All right. Bar- yeah. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, it's. It, it's it, so yeah, for your player characters to have knowledge, they have to be with, they're either going to be really old, fringe worthy, have been on the pathways for a while. And oh, yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, didn't that franchise die when they. Uh, Came out, did did so and so and so and so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. There's some guy named Kirk we want to find. Right, but but back to the question that I, I I made, John. Okay, you know what kind of adventures would you want to go on? Okay, since uh, I'll throw mine in, which is I like the whole uh, humanitarian aid missions. Okay, because oh yeah. There, there were so many weird diseases out there and, and terrible, you know, uh, space-sucking vortexes and stuff. And there was some really cool type stuff. There was lots of, of things you had to figure out and, and problems you had to solve. But at the same time, you know, you, you, you got to, you know, go a lot of really exotic places, see a lot of really exotic people, and then come home. You know, you were <laughs> the mission was over. You came back home, and then you say, "Okay, I need a rest." You know, it wasn't the five-year mission where you were stuck out, you know, in space. You know, maybe occasionally coming back to a star base. So, yeah, I like those a lot. I would prefer those kinds of adventures. I I definitely would not want to do like you know Starfleet battles. I, I don't want to go out there, you know, in huge, massive, you know, capital ship arrays, just beating the snot out of each other. That that's not the missions I want to go on. No, that one, the huge, massive ship battle. It'll be. Excuse me while I go hide under this desk. Yeah. Well, well, Pixie, this is your golden opportunity to tell your GM what kind of adventures you want to go on. So go ahead and tell what kind of adventures do you want your characters to go on. As he's greeting Considering her GM is sitting right here. That's exactly what I'm talking about. This is your golden opportunity to get it off your chest. Say, you know, what you've been doing is fine, but I really want to do this. See, this is the thing because I'm... Playing a character that kind of <laughs> likes to hit the button, <laughs> maybe just a little. Yeah. Um, 
Well, let's see. The type of cat we've had. But if we're talking about me? We've had first contact already. We've had oh, yeah. exploration. We've had just straight up. See, it, the, the campaign is. We've had. Uh, let, let me do a nutshell thing here. Starfleet cadets crash land on a world that effectively is a fantasy world, but it's all due to genetic engineering and nanotech. So you essentially have these five or six cadets who meet up with a native, and now the native is having, and they're dealing with prime directive issues. They're dealing with basically an ecosystem that has it in for them because you are, we're throwing in Pathfinder monsters, and it's like, okay, you know, it just took a bite out of this cadet, you know. So we've had exploration, we've had first contact, we've had straight-up melee combat. We've also had straight-up ship-to-ship combat. We did have that. Romulans, you know, also interested in the world. So, yeah, we've had a broad range of adventures already in this campaign. I think we've had some humanitarian... Elven Village helping them out. Yeah. So, we've had yeah. Some of that. We've pretty much had a little bit of everything that they do. Yeah, I've tried to be as true to the Star Trek, the feel, as I can, while basically saying, yeah, you're on a D&D type world. And it is, we're talking like out in Romulan Tholian space era. You know, like in between those two empires, which is like on the very edge of the Federation. So they are out on the frontier. You can't get any more frontier without leaving the galaxy. So, yeah, these guys have pretty much been on their own. And just Josie's character is basically, for all intents and purposes, playing an elf. So she's having to deal with all these new races (laughs) and especially seeing a Klingon. Oh, I like him. (laughs) <laughs> and the Klingon basically said, no, I'll show you how to fight. And she's like, no, no, I've been alive longer than you ever will be. Let me show you. <laughs> so you've had this weird culture shock between the Starfleet people and the this elven warrior. So just, yeah, I tried to keep Star Trek in the forefront and go through the various types of missions that they would go through. So yeah, it it it's turned out pretty well, and that was made the major impetus for me coming up with this topic for tonight. But yeah, we're talking about me. I like being out there, just going to different places. So exploration, yeah, and first contact because you're going to deal with you're, first I'm contact. I'm going to deal with first going, contact anyway. Yeah, but yeah, being just. Out in new places. Oh, what, 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 oh, Bruce put it in furniture for the D20. Low lying fruit and spectacle. That's the term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Pixie, is your character an anime elf? Otherwise, he was mistaking you for a Vulcan. <sighs> well, no, in Starfleet, in Prime Directive D20, they actually made a race, and they're effectively elves. They're known as the Arcturians. And the dwarves are known as Prolarians. So, yeah, she's, we, we're just chalking it up to, well, yeah, it's an offshoot of the Arcturians. They've just been genetically engineered where they can live two, three hundred years. Other than that, genetically, she would be an Arcturian, if you're familiar with the old Starfleet battles and the race that they made for that. 
Actually, that's a good question. What is the lifespan? Because I got the impression that people lived a pretty long time in the Trek universe. Uh, humans can live anywhere uh, with you know constant upkeep, anywhere from 100 to 150 years. Remember, Bones was like 147 years old at the beginning of Next Gen. Yeah, and I remember Vulcans already were like 200 years. 200. Of course, that would be accounted for with their fact they are an advanced culture. So, yeah, Klingons barely a century, maybe seventy, eighty years. A lot of them don't make it that far, though, due to battle. Well, the the three old the three uh, the original series Klingons made it made it there, uh, <laughs> made that age range. But yeah, I as I said, the Prime Directive. Stuff. If you want to try to do, if you got fringe for the D twenty and you want to bring in a Star Trek, Amarillo Design Bureau's Prime Directive D twenty Modern would be a really good resource, and they've got a book for Federation Klingons and Romulans that would be really helpful to if you wanted to pull this off. There, there isn't one for the other games because unfortunately it is a licensed product. Yeah, ADB has the hookup with Paramount and it's a permanent license. They, they, and I, and I've talked to, I've talked to Jonathan Thompson, Battlefield Press and ADB. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's airtight. They're not going to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, that was true of the, la- the other three licenses as well until there was a change of a change of the board of directors or whoever's in charge of licensing decides to change the contract. You oh, know. for Paramount. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, Paramount. It's Paramount. If they decide they're not making enough money off it, they'll find this is probably a clause in that contract. I'm sorry, Tom uh, Thompson, but there's a clause in the contract that allows them to break it because it's in their best interest. Yeah, John. The original story was when they contracted, they did it in such a way that the contract was airtight and it went to two other companies. Paramount tried to kill it and couldn't kill it. They could not win it legally. It was just something they did legally that absolutely locked it in place and stopped Paramount and Paramount ignores it. Paramount says, I I don't think even Paramount is getting any uh, residual on it, but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story and, and the, Sort of, sort of like uh, White Wolf in Hollywood. Okay, so, so it sounds like uh, if they decide to do a competing product, there'll be a lot of lawsuits going back and forth at that point. Yeah, <laughs> right. But role playing companies, on an average, don't have a lot of money. Yeah. Well, ADB, as I said, they've got all of like we're talking. They now have a license for the old Starfleet battles and the old Captain's Log magazines and the Starfleet Commander and Federation and Empire and all that stuff, ADB now has all of it. They not only have the license for the old stuff, but for a while they were making all the the Prime Directive D20 modern stuff. So, yeah, that's all now owned by ADB. But then again, having said that, there uh, I can tell you right now, there's at least three three different competing uh, uh, fan hack of Savage Worlds, and there's a bunch for Fate. So, yeah, you won't be able to find something official, but you will find something that works. Yeah. All right, so is there a uh, short list of, um, of 
products that you think people should have if they wanted to uh, run, um, uh, fr- you know, fringeworthy in um, in Star Trek universe, uh, whether it's D twenty or the Savage Worlds or whatever. FTL twenty four forty eight. It's not high enough tech level, Richard. Oh, uh, but it works. Mm. The uh, uh, some some other time we will we will talk about. The three greatest uh, space RPG campaigns in Michigan colliding, and all three of them, almost 40 players worth, Ooh. having a two-session set of games at the Detroit Gaming Center, where the Traveler Universe, the Star Trek Universe, and FTL all went together. Oh, Three universes. John, you weren't there at the time, were you? No, no, I was. I, didn't, I wasn't there for that one. Okay. And it was the differences and the contrast between them. Everyone had a a good balance, and that was a little different than each one. And uh, it was it was great. The players at the end were standing on their chairs and clapping. Wow! That sounds just those three together. I know yeah. a little bit about the other two. Well, I've told you a little bit about FTL Traveler. I might have mentioned yet. It was it was the the GMs were Judd Cole, Pete Rogan, and myself. Okay, and they're absolutely fantastic space RPG uh, GMs. I think okay. I've vaguely heard of that other one, but those three together just sound like it's something I'd want to be in. Ah, now Richard did is not his first time doing Star Trek, though. I remember the Dungeon Dwellers on the Enterprise. Remember that one? They basically somehow got in the air prize. And what was it? Why did you get that guy a wand that makes one pound of cooked rice? <laughs> John, that might not have been me. I never someone did it. Someone's running people on Enterprise because it, it demonstrates that PCs are evil, you know, you know what's. They're interrogating some security officers on the Enterprise. They're trying to get their friends back. And one guy produces his wand of make one pound of rice. Uh, it sticks in the guy's throat and makes one pound of rice. Nope, it wasn't me. Oh, okay, it was someone else. For sure. Yeah. I forgot, I forgot who it was, but I remember hearing that going, that's just evil. Yeah, he didn't stick it down, so he stuck it in his mouth. So when he made one pound of rice, he went down both tubes. And you can't breathe rice. Oh, no. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Player characters are just evil. Uh. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for uh, listening to the TriTech Games podcast. Uh, we hope that you will make the experiment of running Fringeworthy in the Star Trek universe. Uh, it's a you know it, since it is such a large body of work out there, it can be an experiment. We we do hope you give it a try, and if you do, we want you to post uh, the results and some of your stories and horror tales or whatever you want, how it ends up uh, on our Facebook um, pages, the Fringeworthy fans, Fringeworthy fans. Okay. Yes. And, uh, or on the uh, fans of the TriTech games podcast, you can also leave a message up on the Podbean site uh, or any uh, Google plus things, or just send a note to any of your hosts, uh, John Ryer, uh, 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 Robert Pulaski and I'm uh, Bruce Sheffer. Uh, and of course you could always send a note to Richard. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure some, some will be able to find his email address. 
Tohoka at hotmail.com. There you go. So, and let us know how <laughs> you did and how it was because we love to hear those kinds of stories. Okay. And if you don't want to do it, try to get one of your, uh, one of the other, uh, your other friends to do it just so you can see what happens. And, uh, but anyways, we, th- well, we really appreciate you listening to all this and, uh, we hope we've been entertaining and we hope that we've given you some new ideas about getting involved in some of the other properties that you might be a big fan of because Fringeworthy is all about going out there and, going to a place that no one has ever been before and doing things that nobody thought was possible. You know, it is the true multiverse concept and anything is possible. So we hope you do that. Go out there, do some awesome things, live to tell the tale, and then tell the rest of us. Make it so. And we'll have more for you next week. But until then... This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tohoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.